What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Happy Friday. It is uh, it's that time of the week where we wrap it up. We kind of compile. We talk about what's going on and everything else in the good world. It is uh, January 25th, 2019. And uh, let's just dive in, shall we? Microsoft shipped a new build of Windows 10 late yesterday, 18323 to the fast ring. And if you look through the weeds of this stuff, it's actually starting to call it the April update, which is a bit symbolic in nature, if you will. Uh, realistically, what that means is Microsoft is in the final stages of getting this bad boy prepped for release. They're doing bug bashes, they're doing everything else, which realistically just says, hey, they're not going to add a whole lot of new more content. They're really just trying to bash the bugs, get it shipped, get it out the door on time, because the last two builds, or major updates, I should say, have shipped late. So they are definitely trying not to continue that trend. There are a couple minor, very minor updates in this one. Uh, there's improved raw image support built into Windows 10, and they also did some finessing, if you will, to the light theme. So you can go grab that now from the uh, from Windows Update. Um, do know that if you don't see it right away, Microsoft said they were having some issues with their uh, platform for distribution. And so things were rolling out a little bit slower than usual, but um, that was known issue on their side. So it's nothing to be alarmed about. Uh, Microsoft is also making a big move with Apple. They are now bringing officially Office 365 apps to the Mac App Store. And there was actually a quote from Phil Schiller, um, which was probably written by an intern. They were just like, hey, we're real happy you can download Office from our stores on the iPad, Apple products, and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, whatever. I honestly just hope that we continue to see more interoperability between these two. I would still love to see iMessage on Windows 10, not holding my breath, but now that we have iTunes in the Microsoft Store, we now have Office apps in the Mac Store. Maybe that was their little trade to get everything up and running. But uh, if that's been holding you back for whatever reason, the, the big update though, realistically, is that now updates will be serviced through the Mac App Store, not Microsoft's garbage Windows or uh, Mac updater, which was always, always a, a pain in the ass. Uh, other things happening. So Microsoft rolled out this feature called, uh, <laughs> it's basically NewsGuard for Edge uh, on their mobile browser. And the idea behind this is that, hey, if you're on a crappy website that's not promoting genuine content, that's um, going to flag it and kind of tell you that, hey, this may not be great. And so this is a sensitive area, obviously, in the political climate that we have these days. But more Honestly, it's because you have a browser telling you what's might not be good content. And so which is opinionated, which is a problem for some people. And I don't know, there's been a lot of fury over this and you can either use it, ignore it or anything else. I, I'm indifferent on it. Uh, just like anything else in the world, you need to take any any sort of warnings with a grain of salt, right? You need to do your own independent analysis of what you are looking at and viewing. Um, you should not blindly trust what something in a browser is telling you. Even with security, we see this in Chrome. It's like, hey, this website's not secure or it is secure. Well, we all know that SSL certificates doesn't actually mean your website is secure. It's just security theater. And so the same thing can be said with this NewsGuard stuff. Do your own reporting or do your own investigations and you'll be a lot better off rather than just saying, hey, this little uh, plugin is telling me what is good and what is not. But it could be a good guiding light, if you will. Um, so I, I tweeted out some stuff this week and got a lot of crap for it, saying that I don't really think foldable phones are going to be all that great. Um, and then Xiaomi, uh, I believe that's how you pronounce it, showed off a really interesting prototype which kind of shows taking a tablet and turning it into a phone, which is neat. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this stuff isn't neat or interesting or whatever else. I just, it's going to be tough 
for me, and this is very something like likely I'll bite my tongue out if you if you come back to this in ten years, saying, okay, um, a foldable phone is great, but is it a thousand dollars greater than a candy bar style phone? Because that's that's going to be the issue here, especially in these these early products, which is always the case, right? We know that when an early product comes out or a new form factor, it's always really expensive, and then over the years it trickles down. Um, but right now, a flagship smartphone is somewhere between 800 to a thousand bucks. I know you can get some cheaper or whatever. Let's just run with that. And so when you add the complexity of a foldable display and everything else, it's only going to increase that cost. It's not going to make the phone cheaper. And so the, the question is going to become for the next several years is are foldable phones worth the expense to be able to take it and make it larger display, almost like a tablet. That, that is the only question that matters, because if the answer is yes, then there is a future for these things. Um, if it's no, then there, there's not. It's going to be tough to justify why you would buy something that large or that, that can expand that large for the extra money. So that is what I will be watching for as these foldable phones. I mean, we're going to see potentially some from Microsoft, from Samsung, from a whole bunch of different companies kind of just playing in the waters to see what's going to happen in this space. Um, we I think we all kind of agree, at least I tend to believe, that phones are thin enough. So they can make them a little bit thicker with that foldable display. But again, if you're only getting three hours of battery life, is it really worth it? I don't, I don't think so. So we will see. This is definitely a technology that needs to seriously mature before it's going to overtake or even be kind of a, a viable option other than a novelty factor for at least a couple years, in my opinion, at this time. I'm not trying to write these things off completely. I do see the value and how they can become. Uh, if you mean if you can take a smartphone and turn it into a, a tablet that just unfolds, that's great. Um, but it's going to come at a cost, and is that cost worth it? And I don't just mean financially. So, yep. Um, other things that were coming out this week. So Microsoft... Microsoft is in an interesting position in the education setting. They came out with a lot of stuff for Teams. Um, they came out with that pen, which I did a video on earlier this week. You can check out on the channel um, that nobody can buy unless you're in education. And so here's what here's what I'm going to be watching. Because Microsoft is in a... When it comes to desktop computing, even laptops, yes, there's Apple and there's Chromebooks, but they're very small competitors. And typically, if you're buying a Chromebook, it's because you're not even considering a Windows PC, candidly. You just want to kind of want this little casual thing that does whatever, and it, you close the lid and it's done, and you open it up and it, it's fine. Which, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of value in that. But it's not really competing with somebody who's looking at, say, a Surface Book um, or a Surface Pro, in my opinion, at least yet. But where there is a serious battleground for saying choosing Windows, Chrome, or even iOS uh, is the education segment. And Microsoft is trying very hard to crack back into this. In the U.S., it's been primarily dominated by Apple, and Google has made serious strides with Chromebook in the education segment, which means Microsoft is fighting, not necessarily for its life, but it is that is the biggest battleground, at least for, in my opinion, for Microsoft in the PC space, because you have to hit a lot of markers. You have to hit low cost and affordability. You have to hit durability. And then you also have to hit, hit a durable OS. And Windows, while it is great and allows you to tinker and do all sorts of fun things, it's not exactly the best thing for a kid because they just click and they drag and delete and do all sorts of stuff. And you don't want to have to involve the system administrator every time a file goes missing. And so this is the biggest battleground for Microsoft. And we're going to see a lot of uh, competition from Windows Lite, hopefully, and Lite-based devices, I think, uh, in the year ahead. We'll see what happens at Build this year. But this is, to me, one of the most interesting aspects of Microsoft right now in the OS space. Uh, don't get me wrong, Xbox is super interesting with things going on there versus Sony and what's coming down the pipeline. 
but from a PC and hardware perspective in a, a traditional business sense, watch the education space because that's where Microsoft has to innovate the most if they want to claw back the market share. So uh, other things happening, Bing was turned off in China for a while, uh, 24 hours, give or take something like that. It wasn't quite exactly known why Microsoft hasn't been super transparent, uh, but you could probably ballpark it, right? They want, China wants to control the search engines and Microsoft may not have made the concessions that, that China demanded. We know that there's a very public uh, uprising from Google employees about their projects and search engines in China. And so it's a massive market. Microsoft finds itself in a tough position right now with Bing in China about what to do to who to appease and how to keep maintain your public image because it's hard to say that you're a staunch supporter of uh, free speech and all that stuff and then in China you just fold instantly to the government that is the same issue that Google is facing and many other companies by the way um, Bing is now accessible once again in China but I doubt that this is going to be the first time we see anything like this uh, we've also seen China go after some LinkedIn stuff which Microsoft owns as well and then on the Xbox side, just a little tidbit, if you are an insider and you wanted to delete your account, you can now do that. I suspect this might be related to GDPR, uh, but if you had an Xbox Insider account, you can now go and delete that. And so we got a bunch of good questions this week, and that's always my favorite part of the week. And so let's refresh the thread here, which always goes up on therot.com. And uh, I tweeted out as well. You can find me on Twitter at BDSams, or if you go click the header on the YouTube, you can find the link there as well. All right, we got uh, whew, we got some good stuff here. Uh, Craig R says, with Python coming to the store, do you expect more dev-like tools, VS Code, Git, Docker, etc., to follow? I honestly, I do. I I suspect that Microsoft is wanting to put everything open source and developer related into the source possible, just like anything else. But it, we've already seen some subsystem for Linux go in, Linux go in there. We see Python in there. Uh, it is in Microsoft's best interest to get as much as they can into that store from a, a developer perspective. So I absolutely expect to see them to continue down that path. Um, he has a couple questions. He says, will xCloud host games in containers on demand like Azure's Portal Cloud Shell for better load times plus no download? So this is a that's a very complicated question because we don't fully understand the architecture of how games are going to be stored in the cloud yet we know that they're running on xbox hardware um could you consider that a container maybe it depends on how we don't know how microsoft has architected uh their their x cloud servers candidly um but what the key thing you you hit on here is for better load times. I absolutely think we will see that. Um, I know for a fact that Microsoft is working on new ways to make game streaming better. Right now on the Xbox back here, when you go to start or download a game, you get this kind of notification after it downloads a little bit, little bit says, hey, this game is ready to play. But we all kind of know that that's crap for the most part. It, it usually isn't the full access to the game. Well, well obviously, if it's downloaded, it's still not the full access. But it comes with a lot of caveats and things don't work. You can't go in to do whatever. It's, for the best part, you just wait until the end. They are improving that technology on multiple fronts for not only Xbox gaming, but I believe PC gaming, and I believe just traditional apps as well. Because they want you to be able to get them up and running and get most of the experience right away. Um, even if that involves streaming things from the cloud. So what you can imagine is that you download a little bit and then it streams the rest while it's downloading the other portions of it. And so it's pretty complicated stuff. I, I've heard bits and pieces. I'm still trying to fit it all together, but that is absolutely something they're working on. Uh, and then Craig says, does Windows Lite run PowerShell Core? So 
before we even get any further into that, we don't know enough about Windows Lite yet. I have seen documentation around it and I, I've talked with people who are familiar with it, but I have not asked if it runs PowerShell Core, so I don't, I don't know much about it beyond that. Uh, developer GR1702 says, why didn't you get an Android phone? Any reason? So I currently use an iPhone. Um, I have a couple of Android devices around here, actually older Nexus devices. Um, a couple reasons. One, most of my family is on an iPhone, so we have iMessage. Uh, chat room set up and that's a big thing. Um, FaceTime works exceptionally well for, for calling and, and the grandparents want to talk to their, their grandchild. I have a daughter. And so that's a big reason for it. And one of the primary reasons though is apps are typically better on iOS than they're on Android. And I mean, from like a fit and finish perspective, I know that there's, I believe might even be more apps on Android now, but they're typically a little bit more polished. And from a Microsoft perspective, so if you're trying to stay in the Microsoft world, um, Microsoft typically updates their iOS apps ahead of Android apps. You get a much better experience. And so that's, that's it. There's nothing, I'm not, there's going to be people who say, well, Android's better. And it absolutely is. If you want to customize your phone, Android is the way to go. If you want a phone that you just open and it works every time and you don't have to screw around with it and apps just are fine, iOS is the better route. I totally get why people choose both platforms. Both of them are fine. You will be happy with whatever you choose because you should choose the one that works for you. At the end of the day, they're phones. They're going to allow you to do what you need to do. So, um, Kay Herm says, Hey Brad, have you caught wind of the new season of the Grand Tour yet? So far it seems really good. So... If you're not familiar with the Grand Tour, um, it's a car show on Amazon Prime. Uh, it was the Grand, well, what was it? Top Gear when the BBC owned it. Then there was a ruckus, or fracas, or whatever they called it. Um, it's kind of politically sensitive because Clarkson, whatever. Uh, I like the show, and they had a new special come out last night. I quite like it. Part two comes out tonight, and I, I, I like it. I like it. I can't really say anything else. Uh, Jules Wombat says, "What Android apps launcher do you prefer to use on my Nexus? Uh, I can't even remember which model it is." Um, I have the Microsoft launcher just for obvious reasons. And, uh, what, if any features of windows 10 mobile live tiles, do you miss the most? The dumbest one that I miss the most is weather. And this is the thing that kills me about iOS is that I would love to be able to just look at my phone and have the weather app. Tell me what the temperature is outside or what the next, the forecast is for the next hour, but I can't, you have to open it. And so that is one of the things that I miss most about live tiles is that quick access or glance and go, I believe as they called it, uh, access to weather. Uh, Cad, three says is game packs, game pass and Xbox lives lifetime pass real. I have not heard this. Um, and candidly, it kind of goes against Microsoft's mantra here of software as a service. If you can buy something for a lifetime pass, one, it's not going to be cheap, but it kind of goes against their idea of they want you paying every single month and you have flexibility. Could they do it? I mean, yeah, they could, you know, say, Hey, you can have a lifetime game pass for 300 bucks. Do you want to pay it? Yeah, maybe some people do. Um, I, I don't see myself paying for something like that. Could they come out with it? Sure. Have I heard anything specifically about it? No, that doesn't mean it's not real, but I just have not heard anything. HRLNGRV says, uh, the question everyone wants answered, does your daughter use 3D paint, order paint, or something else, or she just like to draw on top of everything? Um, she is more of a classic paint person, uh, mostly because that's the only app we've shown her. Uh, and because I think it, it's a little bit 
easier, if you will. She just likes to doodle and colors, and she doesn't need 3D crap. She's not trying to make dioramas, at least not yet. And so she just kind of needs it to work, and I can just open up paint, and she has an unlimited canvas, and that's all that it makes it easy. Uh, the Joe Finn says, in your opinion, is Microsoft spread too thin? They have so many products in so many different directions which don't work together. Is this a problem or just how big companies are? So part of it is just how big companies are. Um, are they spread too thin? Maybe, but the problem is, is that a lot of that thinness makes money. So it's kind of hard to shut things down when they're making money. I mean, you can look at things like the Mail app and all the other kind of random apps that Microsoft has in Windows 10 where they don't support them all that well. I think uh, the Mail app is finally getting some fluent support in this next iteration. So it's not like they are prime objectives for the company. And so on the enterprise side, their stuff typically does work pretty well together. They've been pushing Microsoft 365 and Office 365 intercompatibility uh, massively with their graphs. I mean, when you say things don't work well together, I, I know what you mean, but on the API side, they typically do. Um, Non-consumer related services, that is. So on the consumer side, you could potentially argue that uh, a little bit easier. R. Baker says, uh, with the planned obsolescence of Windows 10 Mobile gaining traction recently, uh, this has me considering alternative devices. I wouldn't say this is a recent thing. Microsoft made this very clear when they wrote off and fired everyone from Nokia. So this has definitely been in uh, the coming like multi-years. Um, he says, for non-heavy mobile app users, do you believe a combination of Surface Go LTE and a feature phone could address the mobile computing requirements? Uh, yes, I mean, it absolutely could. Um, if you take any device with LTE and a, and a dumb phone, candidly, I don't even need a dumb phone. I could probably get away with just carrying around a Surface Go with LTE, although the text messaging, messaging would be a problem currently. That being said, um, you're, you're making a lot of sacrifices just to not buy an Android or iOS device when that sounds like that's what you want. Um, while I know you say you're a non-heavy mobile app user, um, I'm not quite sure how a Surface Go with LTE would solve any of these problems or whatever. Um, but can it be done? Absolutely. Uh, I, I very much think that Microsoft, if they ever make a small form factor device, they're not going to call it a phone. They're just going to give it LTE functionality. And then if you really want what you should do, if this is what you are going to do, I would take my cell phone number and port it to Skype, which sounds scary, but you can do that, I believe. And then you would have your phone number or just get a phone number from Skype and just start handing that out. So when people call it, uh, Skype rings. And that is actually probably a better solution than maybe even getting a dumb phone. So there you, that, that's my hot take on it. Uh, BDR or BDSRF says, Brad, how is Microsoft or Google not bought Grammarly yet? Not just for their tech, but also their talent. Microsoft could integrate Office as well as SwiftKey. So this, I am very much on the same boat as this. Grammarly is a wonderful plugin. Uh, it is free. They do have a premium offering, which you can pay for. I haven't found a reason to pay for it yet. But it's pretty much a better spell check for everything. You can you can integrate it into, into Word, which is a little awkward, so I don't necessarily recommend doing that. But you can definitely integrate it into your browser, and it checks your email, checks, checks everything else, checks your tweets, whatever, Facebook posts, and it's free. It is, I highly recommend this. Now, his point is, or his question is, why hasn't Microsoft or Google bought them? That is surprising because this fits right into Microsoft's wheelhouse of productivity stuff. So I could see Microsoft buying Grammarly. I could also see Microsoft buying a company like LastPass or 1Password. They are supposedly working on a consumer iteration of Microsoft 365, um, which to me would make a lot of sense if they had Office 365 bundled in 
and Grammarly and one password. I would happily then pay for that and toss in Skype credits, but Microsoft needs Grammarly. They also need a password management service for the consumer, and those two products would make it perfect for a Microsoft 365 portfolio. So I'll be watching that. Uh, Luke says, uh, the Windows 10 Mail app has seen very few updates in recent times, minus we just are getting a very minor update in 19H1 coming here, and arguably lacks a lot of very basic functionality, texturizing UI layouts, etc. Do you have any thoughts on whether Microsoft will continue to develop this app uh, with more basic or new features, or do you personally see them replacing, say, a PWA AW version of Outlook.com? I've been waiting for them to ship a PWA version of Outlook.com and just call it a day with the Mail app, but they have yet to do it. I don't know why they're waiting on this. I don't know why they don't just take their iOS app, uh, port, make it a PWA. They have the bridges to do that, and then ship it. Like that—that that seems the most logical thing. And yet here we are, just getting these little tinkering updates that aren't very good. I think it mostly becomes down to what Joe Finn was saying: um, priorities and spread too thin. I don't know if there's true value, but it, it seems awkward that they have this kind of half-baked mail app. My hope is that Essential, which bought Newton Mail, is going to bring it back, and then I will be paying for that. So, uh, Next thing is, Luke says, It is being reported that Microsoft might be sunsetting live tiles, which is understandable. What are your thoughts on Microsoft have made them available to pin to the desktop, acting like widgets alongside application shortcuts? This was planned at one point. I, I remember seeing mock-ups of um, live tiles on the desktop, being able to make them much larger, if you will. If you remember the widgets that were in uh, Vista, along that same line, but you could make them and they would stack neatly, and that was a concept at one point, but they never made it a reality. I think it's because live tiles benefit you most on the piece or on the on the mobile device, and with that going the way of the Dodo, that it just doesn't make a lot of sense, I guess. So. Uh, it, it makes me sad, but I kind of, I mean, it's obvious why they would do it. So we will, uh, what I'll be curious to see is how they modify the start menu, because the start menu depends heavily on live tiles, at least on that right side, if you drag them out. Although I currently have zero live tiles on my start menu. Candidly, I don't even open the start menu that much. I usually just smash the window key and start typing what I need because I can get to this stuff faster. So, um, yeah. Well, guys, that wraps up for the questions this week. As always, that's a favorite part. I try to tweet out the question link every time uh, I, I post it on Thursdays, usually around Thursday afternoon, and then I try to read them here and answer them the best I can. And so with that, folks, I hope you had a wonderful week, and we'll catch you right back here next time on the Sam's Report.